0: morning. Hey, Noah. Oh, well, never mind. Um, Welcome to Christ Community Church. Glad you're here today. I greet you in the name of my Savior. Um, Lucy and Dalton, thank you. I'm trying to remember everybody. Thank you. Guys, thank y'all. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Um, You don't get the privilege of seeing what I see on a regular basis, but... The service this morning uh, is happening, and we're enjoying it. There are probably 25 people up here early this morning making all of this happen. And um, I just wanted you to know about that, and I want them to know that I'm grateful uh, for all that they've done, from providing breakfast, to flowers, to setting up all these chairs, to all the signage, to taking care of our children, are preparing the music um and running the sound and uh just making the coffee um there's just a lot of things that need to take place so that we can experience this service and i'm really grateful um for all of you that have participated in fact i would just add um it's been a great week this week um we had a very special time in our living room Thursday night. We got to celebrate Passover uh, together. And uh, those of you that got to come and be a part of that, I'm still pondering that. And uh, just, Robin, you did such a good job of uh, leading man. It was just, it was great. And then yesterday, uh, Tommy put on, so, and I, I know there were a lot of people that helped Tommy, but... Tommy put together this wonderful gathering out at Shelby Farms for our church family, and Derek cooked bar. Well, wherever Derek is, he cooked barbecue, and uh, we played all kind of great games and had a big Easter egg hunt. And somebody found an egg with twenty bucks in it. If I'd have known that, I'd have been out looking for eggs. Uh, nobody told me that, or I would have been out there. But anyway, it was just we just had a number of events this week, including today. Um... It just reminds me that i 'm a part of a wonderful and very unique family of people that are united in our faith in Christ and our declaration that we are loved of him and uh, i'm just i 'm grateful i 'm grateful for for all of it uh, I think i 've said everything i 'm supposed to say so let's let 's study god 's word together last night um, My family, the Rays, gathered for Easter dinner at my brother's house. And uh, (laughs) my daughter sat at the table with her eyes as big around as half dollars uh, listening to my family talk about our family. And uh, uh, as you've heard me say before, the Rays put fun in dysfunction. And um, uh, she just (laughs) comes away from that, lad, were y'all really like that? Did y'all really do, did did Papa really? I go, yeah, but we don't have to talk about that. And uh, anyway, it it was a fun gathering, uh, and I'm thankful in the day we'll go and gather with Sherry's family, and they're not quite as dysfunctional, but they've got their own uh, bats and their own belfry, and so, uh, uh, but that'll be fun too, but. I said all that to say that uh, the way this thing works, it worked last night. It'll do the same today. I'll walk around and say hello to everybody. And uh, then we'll sit down and we'll eat. We'll begin to eat. And after about 15 minutes, my grandson will come walking up to him and he'll go, "Lad, you about done? And I'll, and I'll say, give me five more minutes to wolf this food down. And then we'll go. And because um, he didn't, it doesn't take him long to eat a hot dog and some uh, sliced up cheese, and so he wants me to go and play with him, and that's what I want to do, and I'd rather do it than anything. And um, we were at my brother's house, and so we walked into their little den, the one room in the house where we weren't, and um, uh, uh, his wife has this little closet full of toys, and we opened up the. The, the doors, and it was filled with all kinds of little old kid toys. She's preparing to be a grandmother, I mean a grandmother of lots of little children. And um, lo and behold, the first thing that my grandson saw <laughs> was a Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. And he said, lad, what's that? he never seen a Mr., I don't even know if they make them anymore, but he'd never seen one. And so I explained to him what it was, and we got that sack, uh, it was like a netted sack kind of a thing, and we got it out and spread all the pieces, and everybody in the room that's over, I guess, 20, you know what a Mr. Potato Head is. And it's toys, where it's two potatoes, and they got lots of holes in them, and you get to create a Mr. Potato and a Mrs. Potato by choosing different hats and ears and eyes and noses and mouths and I don't know what all else, but so we 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 played with that thing. And Teddy created several different versions of Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, and he loved it. And guys, I'm not joking. It's crazy. I was watching him do that, and I started thinking about this morning and uh, what we were going to talk about. And it, it just hit me how... Well, let's start with the people of God in the Bible in the Old Testament in particular, but I'm coming to you. Um, there was no battle, problem, that the Old Testament reminds us of more consistently than the problem that the people of God in the Old Testament struggled with in regularly, continually trying to create God, Yahweh, in their image. They wanted Yahweh to be the God that they desired. The problem was that God was committed to them Getting to know the God that he is. I'm going to pick on Tim and Esther, just because I like to pick on you. Uh, and there's probably many more of you in this room. Um, they got together through a dating app. And if I'm not using the right words, you understand that doesn't matter you know, where you go online and you go to one of these deals and you fill out all this information and somebody else goes online, fills out all this information and the computer tells you, y'all would be perfect. And I'm sure there's other people in this room that have done that and I hope it's worked out for you as wonderfully as it's worked out for them. Because it has worked out wonderfully for them. And I'm so proud of you, and I'm, and I, I'm not making fun of this, of, of dating apps. Um, but I don't understand them. Never been on one, and I sure don't want to ever do that. And please don't make me, I beg you. Um, it, um, and here's what I don't understand. I don't understand, and I'm sure they've got precautions and self, uh, safe deals to, to keep this from happening, but how do you keep from creating this image of what you wish was true of you versus what is true of you? How do you keep from Deceiving and being deceived. I mean, it's, it's a genuine question that I have. How does that work? Because I've never been on one of those deals, but I, I wonder when you go on it and you're saying, I'd like to find a, a lady or I'd like to find a man, and they start showing you their bio, does it ever say, uh, I lie? a lot i lose my temper i'm a slob um i I, sp- I make x and i spend y um does it ever do you when you go on and you look at the other the people that you're looking for does it ever tell you you know I get mad, I'm controlling, I talk too much, I'm selfish, I snore. Does it ever give you those honest, accurate uh, characteristics of the people you're looking at? Or does it pretty much tell you they're wonderful, brilliant, always happy, very rich, and look you know, like... Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. Is I, I just, I, because we all know that we get in our minds a version of who we are that is different than the version of who we really are, right? I mean, I see myself very differently than my wife sees me or than Tommy sees me. Or Chuck sees me. I, am my daughter. Problem is, she's most truthful of the whole bunch. Uh, and uh, yeah. And so I just I wonder how do we avoid that danger of deceiving ourselves because we are not the person we imagine ourselves to be. Um, as I said, one of the problems running throughout the Old Testament, really much, really from the get-go, was that the people of God continually tried to create an image of Yahweh that they wanted versus the one who is. That was the whole point, if you will of God's warning or commandment in Exodus chapter 20 the second commandment don't make images of Yahweh don't don't project onto me Yahweh characteristics and qualities that reflect Who you are or what you want versus who I really am. Because it will be disastrous if you try to make me in to your image and give me your values and give me your priorities. That's why God says in Isaiah chapter 55, My thoughts... My ways, they are as different as your thoughts and your ways. They are as far apart from each other as the earth is from the heavens. In First Chronicles 17, Solomon says, Lord, there is no one like you. Your plans, your behavior, your values, your actions, and your responses are are nothing like ours. The psalmist says in chapter 86, Among the gods there is no one like you. No deeds compare with your deeds, for you alone are God. And then in Psalm 89, the psalmist says, Lord, who is like you? the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah the prophet says in chapter 40, which we're going to come back to in a minute, to whom will you compare the Lord who is like Him? Those of you in this room that have been challenged, encouraged, or more honestly, nagged, into reading your Bible with me uh, from beginning to end this end this year, um, one of the things that people discover who begin to read the Bible through and become a student of God's Word, one of the things that becomes incredibly frustrating for us is that we begin to realize that the God that we wished existed is not the God of the Bible. He is so different than what I want, what I wish. In fact, He's nothing like that. Shirley, you might help me. Um, 13, 14 years ago, we were at another church and um, there was a little couple in the, in the church, precious couple, who loved the Lord and served the Lord. And uh, they wanted a baby. And um, uh, the church prayed for them. I prayed for them. And after a couple of years, lo and behold, God gave them, a, uh, she became pregnant. And she went through the pregnancy and um, went to the the hospital. Actually, she went to Baptist East, if I'm not mistaken. And back then, people really did want their pastor to come up and be there. And so I got a phone call. She's having her baby. And so I went up there and sat out there in the waiting room with all the grandparents. And... um, couple of hours later, uh, I was asked to go back. I was actually asked to go back to be with the, with the couple before the grandparents, which is not a good sign. And so, been doing this long enough to know that. So I walk in uh, and uh, it was terrible. They did not know but the little baby had all kinds of heart issues and um there was a sliver of a chance that the baby was gonna the baby was alive but not you know it's not good and um their faces were just like you can imagine and uh so over the they they we they transferred the baby to le to the nicu deal and I went up there every day and I guess I don't know whether it was a couple of weeks I don't remember exactly because it's been like I said 13 14 years ago but uh, I went up there every day sometimes several times a day and I would sit with them uh, in the waiting room where the where the parents and you know we you sit there just hours and hours and hours and hours and uh, I'll never forget this is a couple that knows the Lord and loves the Lord but the conversation just naturally, many times, went down the road of if God is with us and God is good and if God is all powerful, how can this happen? Why, why, why do things like this happen? How can this happen? And we would talk and talk and pray and talk and pray and talk and pray. But I'll never forget their question. Larry, Larry, if God is with us and we believe He is and if God is good and he's committed that goodness to us. And we believe he has. And if God is all powerful. And we believe that he is. How can such horrible things like this occur? Not a. Easy question. Um, And I didn't really have a lot of good answers. In fact, I'm pretty sure I didn't have any good answers. It's not a new question. Um, Job asked it. Moses asked it. David asked it. Naomi asked it. Gideon asked it. Joshua asked it. Half the Old Testament prophets asked it. If God is with us, if God is good, and if God is all-powerful, how can such terrible things in life occur, and like I said, I didn't really have any great answers for them, but I walked away from that experience with that precious, and the little baby lived a couple of weeks, if I remember correctly, do you remember Nancy, was that about right, a couple, of, and 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 passed away. Uh, The experience is vague for me. Because I I just, you know, you don't want to think about things like that. But what I walked away learning from that, I remember well. And that is, we better discover what is true about God before we go through terrible suffering. because suffering does not teach us anything about god suffering reveals what we already believe about god i have sat in the presence it's some of it some of them y'all you <laughs> but i have sat in the presence of hundreds of people that were in horrible suffering divorce court and police stations and courtrooms and rehab places and funeral homes and hospitals. And I have heard people say things about God. And you could say, well, they don't mean that. They're just so upset they're saying that. And maybe that's true. But I wonder if that moment of suffering isn't the moment that they reveal what they really what what their core beliefs are about God I sent out an email or Justin did it for me ask telling you all about the service today and I asked y'all to read Isaiah 40 and um, you might, those of you that read it, you might have gone, well, what does that have to do about Easter? And actually, it has everything to do about Easter. Just so you know, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is one of the longest books in the Bible, and it's one of the hardest. It is a, it's a booger bear uh, to try to understand. It's very complicated. Multiple layers of multiple literary styles, multiple, uh, it covers 160, 70 years. It's a, it is a bona fide theological challenge. Um, but for those of you reading through the Bible with me this year, especially if you're reading through the, with me, bless you, uh, for the first time, let me give you a little help. If you take the book of Isaiah and you rise up from 5,000, well, from 50 feet, 1,000 feet, 5,000, 10,000, you get up about 35,000 feet. You're looking down at the book. It's not too difficult, and most all good theologians would agree with me what I'm about to tell you. The book of Isaiah is divided into four parts. Okay? The first 38 chapters are basically, generally, Isaiah just telling Israel and all of the countries around Israel, if you don't stop telling God no, if you don't stop doing things your way, if you don't stop being driven by fear and selfishness and greed and stupidity, if you don't stop it, you're going to experience the terrible consequences of those life choices. And that's and it's just all just one country after the next. One, actually, it's a couple of countries, then Israel. Couple of countries and then Israel. Couple of countries and then Israel. They're just, but it's that repeated admonition: stop living selfishly and meanly and dumbly. I know it's not a word. Because if you don't stop, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna suffer the consequences of making these terrible choices. Then you get to chapter thirty-nine, and in chapter thirty-nine. There's like a break, a pause. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to King Hezekiah, who was the king of Israel at that time. And he tells Hezekiah, Hezekiah, nobody's listening. Israel's not listening, none of the countries around Israel are listening. And the consequences that are going to roar into their roar across their borders and roar into their countries and roar into their lives. It has a face and a name, and the face and the name of the consequences is Babylon. Babylon's going to come, and they are going to be your worst nightmare. They're going to make they're going to make Freddy Krueger look like Mother Teresa, and they're going to do it to Israel, and they're going to do it to all the countries around Israel, because y'all will not listen. And that's where Hezekiah makes that famous statement. Hey, uh, Isaiah, is it going to happen in my lifetime? And Isaiah goes, no, it's not actually. It's not going to happen for about 140 years. He goes, Whew, then I don't care. Now, buddy, he'd be a great American. <laughs> Bad stuff's coming. Is it going to happen to me right now? No. Well, then I don't care. I don't care. One of our Country mottos, I think. Anyway, that, that's for another day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then you turn the page from chapter 39 to chapter 40. And when you turn that page, you jump 100 and give or take 40 years. Big jump. And Isaiah, or God through Isaiah, starts speaking to his people who now are in captivity in Babylon. The Babylonians have now already come, conquered all the nations of the Middle East, decimated their lands, decimated their cities, killed off about 70% of the population of every one of these countries, including Israel. And then they've toted off, what, 30, 40% of the population back to, and scattered them all over the middle, well, all over northern Mesopotamia, including Israel. And they're in these terrible conditions. They're basically slaves in foreign lands. And God begins to speak words of comfort to them. Words of encouragement. Words of, of, uh, uh, well, just I'll say comfort and encouragement. And basically what He tells them is this. He says, He says it, in, this, in chapter 40, if you'll read it, now all of y'all will go home tonight and read it, i bet. And, and you should. You really ought to read it about two dozen times and then you'll start seeing this. What he starts doing is he starts saying it over and over and over again. I am with you. I am good. And I, at my core, I am good and I've committed my goodness to you. And I am all-powerful. And he says it over and over and over again in this chapter. I am with you. I am good and I've committed my goodness to you. And I am all powerful. And the reason God is saying it to his people who are miserable. They are in horrible situations of suffering. The reason he is saying it to them repeatedly is because if you read the, near the end of chapter 40, it tells you why. Because it says, my people are continually saying, God doesn't care about my pain. And God isn't with us. Where's God? Where is God? If He was with us, He would see what's going on. and He And if He's good and He's got the power to do something about it, He would come and He would help us just like that family that I sat with for two weeks at Le How can God be with us and be good and be all-powerful and my life be in such terrible suffering? And woving woven through chapter 40 God begins to reveal that he's got a special messenger a special representative somebody that is so special so unique that he bears the glory of God in fact Isaiah says when you see this person You'll see my glory. And then it goes on to say, When you see this person, you'll say, Behold, there is God. Do you see what God's doing? When the Israelites were in such terrible suffering and were doubting God's presence and His goodness and His power, what God did was direct them to something he was gonna do in the future. I'm sending a special representative and he's going to reveal who I am. He's gonna treat you the way I treat people. When he speaks, he'll speak my words. When he acts, he's doing my deeds. When you see him, you're seeing me. You know, what about that fourth section of Isaiah? Oh yeah, that's Isaiah chapters 41 through 66. And in Isaiah 41, 66, what God does is He just begins to flesh out who this special servant is, who this special representative is, who this special servant is, this suffering servant, this one that is going to Take the suffering of people so that they in turn can experience the healing of God. God did not answer most of their questions. God did not make everything right all of a sudden. God didn't take away their suffering. God did not roar in and turn their world upside down or, up or whatever the opposite way is. Right side up. Thank you. Bless you. <laughs> Lord, I need helpers. Thank you. It's a community effort. Um, that's not what he did. He said, If you doubt my presence, if you doubt my goodness and that it's committed to you, if you doubt that I am all-powerful, I want you to look ahead to the day when I send this special servant who will make right all that is wrong. What in the world does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Can you, is that okay to say? Okay. Okay. <laughs> God did not answer most of those hurting people's questions who were enslaved in Babylon. What is very unique and very special and very interesting to me is that Isaiah 40 is one of the two or three most quoted chapters in the entire New Testament. All four Gospels quote Isaiah 40. Paul quotes Isaiah 40. John and Peter quote Isaiah 40. Jesus quotes Isaiah 40. And what they all saw in Isaiah 40 was that Jesus was this special messenger This special representative. And wherever Jesus was, there was the glory of God. And when people watched and listened to Jesus, they declared, surely this is the Son of God. This is this person that Isaiah was talking about in chapter 40 and fleshed out in the the next 16 chapters or 20 whatever it is 26 chapters This this is that person that was coming Isaiah did a pretty amazing job of revealing who this suffering servant representative would be But my precious people, my precious friends, who did a better job, a more clear job, were the Gospels. When they revealed to us that Jesus was this person that God would send, this person who would come and be God's representative in a way that no one else has ever been, God didn't send another angel. God didn't send another prophet. God didn't send another priestly person. God sent His Son to be with us, to die for us, and to defeat sin and death for us. And some of you will need to go home and do a little study to make sure I'm telling you the truth, but I am. If you read the book of Acts and the epistles, what I find amazing is that the apostles, when they went out into the world to tell everybody about Jesus, to fulfill the Great Commission, if you really read what they said in Acts and all the epistles, what you'll discover is that they really only told people three things. They went around the entire known world declaring that God had been with them. And he had a name. His name was Emmanuel. God with us. I've been in the presence of God. John said, I've seen him. Well, actually he says, we, we have seen him and we've touched him and we've we've felt we've heard him. We've we have swam with him and eaten supper with him and prayed with him and cried with him. We have been in the presence of God. God is with us through the person of Jesus. They also told people that God is good. The world's not good, but the one that made the world is good. Well, how do you know He's good? You don't have that much time, but I'll give you the best example. Who else but an utterly good person Would sacrifice his life for the good of others who else would sacrifice and die suffer and die as a substitute so that other people could experience the goodness of God only a good person God is with us God is good and he's committed that goodness to us and God is all-powerful how do you know because he allowed his life to be snuffed out because of the sins of you and me but after 3 days the bible says it several different ways but at the end of the end of the story at the same moment jesus said enough's enough i'm tired of being in this grave this tomb I'm coming out. And at the exact same moment, the Bible says that the father said, enough, enough. It's enough. Come out. And Jesus did. And by coming out of that tomb, by resurrecting physically, Jesus declared and proved that he had the power to defeat our two greatest enemies. Our sin and our death. God has been with us. God has been good to us. And God is all powerful. It is okay. I'm through. It's okay to have questions. Why? Why a serpent? Why a tree in the garden? Why temptation? Why such failure? Why, 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 why? Why such suffering? The cross does not answer most of those questions. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus does not answer most of those questions. But what the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus what the cross does do is this. It doesn't answer all the questions, but it tells us what we cannot ask. We're not allowed to ask. We must not ask. And that is, is God with me? And is God good? And has He committed that goodness to me? And is He strong enough and mighty enough and powerful enough that He's got me? He's got me. Win, lose, or draw, good or bad, great or terrible, He is powerful enough that He has got me in His hands and He is going to take care of me. The cross answers those three questions And it settles it. The God of the Bible is with us. The God of the Bible is good. Confusing as the day is long, but good. And he's committed that goodness to you and to you and to me. And he is all powerful. There's nothing going on. In your life, your family, in Washington, in uh, uh, Ukraine, or in Russia, or in Taiwan, or China. There's nothing going on that God does not have the power to deal with. And He is, and He will. When my circumstances declare, and they do sometimes. God, where are you? God, are you good? And have you committed that goodness to me? And God, are you really all-powerful? God wants me and God wants you to look back to the cross just like He told His people in Isaiah to look toward the cross. Look toward this person that represents me so perfectly that it's, it's like it's me being there. And He is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is good and He's committed this goodness to you. And He is so powerful that He rose from the grave and literally turned that which men fear the most, death, our archenemy, into our best friend the very thing that ushers us into the presence of God. The cross will not answer all of our questions or solve all of our problems, at least not today. But the cross answers three questions. Is God near? Does God care? Does God, does He have me? Has He got me? And I would declare to you with the disciples who knew Him best, He's with us. He's with you. Hurting with you. Walking with you through everything you walk through. And He's so good, the Bible declares in Romans, that He has committed His goodness to us and He will give us one day all things all things and he died and rose again and because he did he promises that we will too we will too Lord help us we're going to take the Lord's Supper Bobby you and Susan come up and help me please and Becky and y'all come on up and help me too please the night before Jesus was arrested and stood three trials and was falsely accused and falsely condemned and bore that cross to Golgotha and was nailed to that cross and died and was placed in a tomb and three days later rose again. Before that all happened, he sat with His disciples and He took bread. Y'all come up this way just a little bit. I don't want them to tuck her out going all the way back there. So. Yeah, y'all come up. Just, we're all, we like each other and we bathed. Come on, here you go. Huh. Huh. Jesus took bread and He broke it and He said, This is my body. This represents my body that which I give as a sacrifice for for your sins and my sins and the sins of the world. And then he took wine and he gave that to the disciples and he said, I want you to drink and as you drink, I want you to remember that I have offered my blood to cover you and make you white as snow. And once you accept my sacrifice, my gift, my love, my presence, my goodness, my power, you're mine. And I'm yours. And we will dwell together in this life and in the next. I invite you, in fact I invite you to do two things today. First of all, I invite you, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's not a person in this room that hadn't known about Jesus since you came out of the womb. You can't live in the South and not know that. But I can tell you from personal experience, I went to church. My mom had me in church. If the doors were open, her and her little chickens were there. (laughs) And I knew all about Jesus. And I believed in Jesus as a An idea. But it wasn't until I was 18 years old and I went to a church, actually because I wanted to go on a date with her. (laughs) And it was a twofer. I got to go on a date with her and dang if when I was sitting in that church service, I heard somebody explain to me, I'm sure I'd heard it a million times, I just didn't hear it. But I heard it that night that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross for me and offered me forgiveness and healing and cleansing and adoption into His family if I would accept His sacrifice on the cross as my atonement, as my forgiveness, as that which created my adoption. And I didn't know any better than to say that sounds like something I would really like to have. And I prayed to receive Christ that night. Actually, I went home. I, it was too much to think about. It was too big, too much. And I went home and laid in my bed that night. And I hadn't cried, I don't think ever. And I'll never forget those tears rolling, laying on that pillow, and those tears rolling down the sides of my face. That my, my pillow was wet on both sides. And I knew. I knew what that man had said was true and I knew that I needed a Savior and I knew that I was a sinner. And I, I believed, God gave me the ability to believe that Jesus died for me. That's all I knew. I barely knew that, but I knew it. And I got out on my knees beside my bed, the bed and the knees and all that didn't matter, but that just was my experience. And I, I gave all that I knew of me To all that I knew of Jesus. And I said I believe. And I'm sorry. And I'm thankful. And I want you to come into my life. And make me your own. And I am testifying to you. He heard me. And did what I asked. And came into my life. 45 years ago I guess. And it's been the best. It's the best deal I ever got in on. I'm telling you. And He would love to come into your life. If you've never experienced that, that new birth, He would sure love to come into your life and adopt you and make you His own and introduce you to His dad. A Good deal. You do that. You can do it right there in your chair. You can go home and think about it and do it at home, but you can do it right there. You don't have to pray some long religious prayer. There's no magic words or secret code you've got to punch in. Just... Call out to Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord, and He will save you. If you have done that, He is your Savior, and you know that. Then I invite you to come and to take bread. I offer you some bread here, and there's some little cups of juice that uh, Beck and Bobby are uh, have holding. And then there's also some little covered deals. It's got bread and juice in them. Uh, you know what I'm saying. So anyway, uh, you can use those too if you're nervous about germs. Uh, so you can use either one of them. And I want you to eat. And I want you to drink. And I want you to remember what God did for you and give thanks to Him. Okay? You come if you'd like to.